0: Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and have already prayed and asked your blessing on this service. We have worshipped you in song. We have worshipped you in prayer. And now, Lord, we just simply ask that you will speak to us um, as, as each one needs to hear. We want to express our appreciation for your word. all that we do, all that we believe everything really comes back to you giving your word to us, literally giving us these volumes as a declaration of who you are and how we are to live accordingly so we pray Father that as we take just a a short time to examine a small part of that that we can take and make that a part of our living that we can take that next step whatever it might be that your will has and again we just thank you for how you have for centuries put together your word revealed yourself to us and now we have the benefit of looking back of seeing all that you have delivered to us and i pray father that even as we are celebrating what has already taken place at Christmas time coming up here, that we'll also, even as we were encouraged in Sunday school, that we'll be looking forward. We're looking forward to the time of your coming. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's always a challenge this time of year. Um, this might shock you, but Christmas doesn't change. It's the same story every year, and so uh, sometimes it's like, when do we start celebrating and all those things, and I know after Christmas and all that, this is not going to be a Christmas message. We'll start that next week, and we will have three messages because Christmas actually lands on Sunday, so it's kind of hard not to have a Christmas message on Sunday morning when it's Christmas morning, right? Right. So anyway, all that to say, we're going we're gonna to look today at how, uh, what would you do for your king? And um, as, we, as we kind of just introduced this, um, the, the story today, we're going to be looking at a few narratives, and, and they're, they're surrounding one specific area, but I, I think that, that this might be of interest uh, to our, our uh Guys in particular, and younger guys, just because it 's kind of action packed it 's going to be kind of neat to look at, but there 's some lessons here so just a question: have, have you ever had a time of life where you seem to be dealing with one difficult situation after another? Now, I hope when you answer yes you 're not saying that that 's your entire life right i don 't I don't want to wish that on you, but there's a series of challenges can be made up of personal loss of health issues, of conflicts with people. All kinds of things that can take place. It can even be a series of things that just go wrong, like getting into an accident, making mis- a mistake at work and having to try to fix it, uh, or, or a, a couple of major appliances caulking out at the wrong time. Is there ever a right time, right? So it can be any combination of any of these things. Either way, we may find ourselves feeling overwhelmed with life. Have you been there? Even you students, you say, well, I don't have to, you know, buy appliances and I'm not driving yet and things like that. But sometimes even just student life, you know, I've got three tests next week and I've got this project that, well, I could have worked on, but I didn't. And, you know, everything comes together, right? And you can feel overwhelmed. So I believe this is David's experience in our passage today. We're going to be looking at in just a moment. Now, today's message isn't directly about struggles and trials, but they're present. Um, but it's important that we persevere through faith and obedience. We've talked about that recently. But what I want to see today is our, the basis is, is uh, 2 Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. So if you'll turn with me, you can see that's page 290 in your pew Bibles. 2 Samuel 23. Verses 13 through 17. Let me read that for you. Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this, Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now, there were a series of events listed in the final chapters of 2 Samuel, as well as 1 Chronicles. And it's believed that these were were accounts that didn't really fit into the narrative of David's life. They didn't fit well. And so they were just kind of placed at the end. If you just slide back a little further in in, in this context, you'll see the final words of David. Well, these come after those final words. So, So these are some things that were just of note that couldn't really get placed into the history chronology well. It includes a sort of hall of fame of David's mighty men. And our story comes from one of those events related to them. So we're going to begin with a king in a cave. It's not usually where you find a king, right? A king in a cave. There are two times when David was in the cave of Adullam. Either one of these may be possible as far as the reference that we just read in 2 Samuel. So we're going to look at both just because we get a nice fleshing out of, of what David would have been experiencing. And the first one is David um, is during David's flight from Saul. This is the account from the scripture reading that I had this morning from 1 Samuel 21 and 22. So just to kind of remind ourselves, we have uh, uh, 1 Samuel 22 verses 1 through 4. Let me read that for you again. And so it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who, who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men. Now we won't go through the rest of the details there, but you see he's in the cave at this time. He took a break and he, and he t- took care of his parents as well, but he was in the cave at this time. Um, one of the things we need to remember about narratives is that time is not necessarily always important. There's a lot of things that are going on here, and so we need to understand that, you know, and then another sentence comes on, but that the first sentence could have meant a long time. All right? So as we look at this, I want you to see a map here because there were some, some areas where, where David was. Um, David first sought refuge in the Philistine city of Gath, if you remember when we read earlier. He starts off in Gibeah because that's where Saul was. And then he kind of took kind of a hook turn around and went to Nob. That was where he, he went to the man Ahimelech, as I mentioned to you. And he got some, some provisions and also um, had uh, Goliath's sword, as I mentioned to you before. Okay? So he got a weapon and he got provisions. There's a lot of detail to that story. That's why I didn't read it. We're not going to get into all that, but that's what happened. Then he went to Gath. Now, this was not David's brightest move. Now, he was a smart man. But this was the city that Goliath grew up in. This is where Goliath was from. So David waltzes in. Remember? They said, Aren't the Israelites, didn't they sing songs about him killing 10,000? That was us. He's in Goliath's hometown. He cut Goliath's head off. And he's wearing Goliath's sword, which probably would have stuck out a little bit. All right? <laughs> probably was a little bit bigger than most. <laughs> so so uh, he acts crazy and he gets an exit. I, you know, he, he writes even a psalm that basically thanks God for what happened. But, you know, it wasn't because of what he did, right? But anyway, so this wasn't his greatest move. Um, but let's get some background as far as where we're at here. The Lord had rejected Saul as king and had sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons as king. So we're going back a little ways. After Jesse presented all of his sons, except for David, to Samuel, and they were all rejected, he then calls the runt. He calls you know the, the young one from the field in, and they recognize him as king, uh, Samuel does, he anoints him. God says, this is my man, all right? Keep in mind, again, narratives take time. David had to wait on the Lord about 15 years before he actually established his kingdom. We, we don't really think of that, right? For 15 years. Now, he was not on the run the entire time, right? So in the meantime, Saul recognized that God had chosen David. Saul was terribly jealous of David, and jealousy turned to hatred. We know that. Saul saw David as direct threat to himself and to his dynasty. Add to this Saul's combination of prideful self-centeredness and faithless insecurity, we now have a man who was spiritually bankrupt and emotionally unstable. How would you like to have him as your boss? right? The Bible records Saul's fits of rage, including two times when he tried to murder David with his spear. Saul tried to arrange for David to be killed by the Philistines. And he sent messengers to assassinate David multiple times. And now we see that he is after David. This is uh, basically a map of the different thing, uh, the different um, interactions that Saul and David had with, with those times. We don't know exactly how long it was. But if I zoom in a little bit, right? The purple one is what I was mentioning to you. Let me just step over here. You see that hook where he goes from Gibeah to Ramah, down to Nob, then, then kind of goes to Gath, and then back to Agilent. That's where we're at in the story. You can see there's a lot more story that that happens after this, right? But this is potentially where we're at in relation to what's going on with David. So when all this didn't work for Saul, he stubbornly pursued David on several campaigns, as you can see, in order to destroy him. Now, I want to look at a couple of different things here. I can throw a little bit of Christmas in here, right? David, at some point, now again, we're, we're jumping in to this story somewhere in the middle, but at some point, God had made a covenant with David, right? I don't know if it was necessarily before or after the, the Adjelam time, but we, what we have here is uh, the Messiah coming from David, Which is a real good reason why Satan would have attacked him, why Satan would have tried to eliminate him, okay? So now let's put ourselves in David's sandals for just a minute here. How would you feel if you were being pursued by a madman who wanted you dead and an absolute authority and an army to make it happen? (laughs) That's where David is in this cave. So our story can be related to this time that David took refuge in the cave of Agilom, or it could be then another time. So again, we have David in the king. There's another possible time frame that took place a little bit later in David's life that this may be covering. And I do believe that there are scholars who who think this, this actually was the time. But again, I don't know that everybody is sure. And it was at the beginning of David's reign. As we saw, um, this took place years after running from Saul. After Saul's death, the drama wasn't finished, however. One of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth, established himself as king. We see this in 2 Samuel 2, verses 8 through 10. But Abner, the son of Nur, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Maanaim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. Wow. Now, this was God's man. God was unfolding his plan, but we still have an obstacle here. A significant obstacle, and this is how the map looked. Map looked, so the blue area was the only area that was actually uh, loyal to then King David. And now let's look at what it says here in Second Samuel three one. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And again, we know. That this was something that God intended. So here we have, again, this this battle that, that went on for a long time, relatively speaking. So David is still not at rest. There's still a bunch of garbage going on, frankly, and all the intrigue behind the scenes and everything else because uh, of, of uh, Abner and because of uh, Ishbosheth. But then I want you to see. Um, turn with me to Second Samuel. You might already be there. Second Samuel chapter five, at least in the neighborhood. Second Samuel five. Let's look at verses one through five. Some time has taken place now. We saw that that David was growing stronger, and it comes to a point. There's more to the story that we're not talking about here, but to where things become unified. And it says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David a Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. A very graphic way of saying, We're yours. We're one, right? We're one big family here. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us. You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of he, King at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah, Seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So I want us to continue reading now. There's another snippet I want you to get. Jump down to verse 17 in the same chapter. Verse 17, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So here we believe that that stronghold was Aglam. Okay, that was strong. there. Were, there were multiple strongholds. This was the one in particular that David went to. It was a it was a recessed um, area where there were multiple caves, and there was this one that was called the cave of Aglam. All right. So here's. Where we're at, um, I think I already did that. Sorry about that. Uh, we got that. Okay, <laughs> so so this is what happened. This is two campaigns on the map. Don't worry about all those lines so much, except to understand that the top purplish one is where they entered in the first time. They actually had two campaigns, the Philistines did. The first one is when they went and, and actually Uh, went and and went after David, taking a, a strike through the valley, right? Settling in the Valley of Rephaim and trying to get him while he was in Jerusalem. But he escaped, okay? So that's just the reference point that we have here. I want you to kind of see the visual there of what's going on. So now let's bring these two things together for a moment. Both of these occasions encouraged the Philistines to invade They saw chaos and weakness and tried to take advantage of the situation. We are talking about the Philistines here. They have been enemies for centuries now of the people of Israel. We know from Scripture that David was a master military strategist. We'll look at a couple of verses there. First off, we see in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 and 7, now, it, it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul is slain as thousands, and David is ten thousands. Now, that's, that was the quote, obviously, that the Philistines had given uh, that we read before, right? But look at the occasion, though. They're celebrating the fact that we're winning. The Jews are winning over our enemies. We're we're taking care of business here. We're securing ourselves. We're we're protecting the land that God gave to us. David was working under Saul. Everything would have been just fine for Saul if he wouldn't have been so self-centered. But we also see here that David was accredited because he knew what he was doing, we don't understand how or why. I and mean, he's probably maybe like twenty years old here, but he knew how to fight. But let's also not forget that there was another part in this little song. After the song, actually, then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, "They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only Thousands. Now, uh, what more can he have but the kingdom? So that gives you the mindset of Saul. In either situation, David knew he faced overwhelming odds, whether it was Saul and his army or the, or the Philistines. He needed to rest. He needed to regroup. He needed to get organized. And so now we go back to the story where we have a king in a cave, and he has a thirst for home. He's distraught. He's, he's kind of at the end of his rope here. Everything seemed to be fine. All of a sudden, you know, uh, Saul's going to kill him, and, and it's finalized. As a matter of fact, he suspected it. And if you remember, this all started because, because he was concerned about Saul trying to kill him. Jonathan says, no, 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 you, you got my dad all wrong, right? And he says, no, no, you don't understand your dad. He wants me dead. And that's when Jonathan said, okay, you don't come to dinner, and I'll see how my father reacts. Remember, and that was the whole arrow situation. If he reacts badly, I'm going to shoot my arrows in a certain direction, say a certain thing. That's going to be a signal to you to get out of town, right? And that's exactly what he did. He ran for his life. So we have now him in the cave and a thirst for home. Many of us have experienced some level of homesickness, right? Maybe we were staying the night with a friend or away at camp when we were younger, and we were like, ah, I'd rather be home now. It might have been something about the situation where it, the, the fun wore out and the realization that I'm, I'm not at home set in. Maybe we went off to college or moved away from home or our hometown. Maybe we just got nostalgic from days gone by. Whatever it might be, we've all had a sense of homesickness. So our story tells us that David was in the cave, as I mentioned. Maybe a small fire would have given off some flickering light in the darkness of the cave. David is no doubt tired and hungry and thirsty. And his thirst probably triggers a memory from home. Almost in passing, David reminisces about the cool, refreshing water from the well of his hometown of Bethlehem. Now, folks, I've not tasted it, okay? Right? I don't have Bethlehem bottled water on my shelf, <laughs> but it is true that you know scholars say that it was known as a good well, right? Some of you in our area, you have well water and you say what? That's not so good, you know. It comes out of the ground stinky, or doesn't taste so good, and so you you condition it, right? Well, apparently this was good stuff, right? They they could be bottling Bethlehem well water, All right? So that's that's where we're at. So here's what he's here's what we have here in Second Samuel twenty three verses thirteen through fifteen. Then, the three of the thirty men we've already read this, but I want to hear you see it again. Went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of Philistines was in Bethlehem, and David said with longing. Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. You see, it'd be like one of us saying, man, I can really go for some Tony Paco's right now. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's what Toledo's known for, right? Among other things. But that's, that's what we're talking about. He, he just hearkened back to home. Now, some have tried to suggest that David's words were a hint to motivate his soldiers to fulfill a selfish request, right? I'm the king, so I'll just throw this out there and see if one of my subjects picks up on this hint. Folks, I'm just going to be very blunt here. Statements like these are examples of scholars who have way too much time on their hands and who try to find something different, something intriguing, And I just don't think that's the case. These are the words of a man recalling memories of simpler times of home and a refreshment of a drink from Bethlehem's well after long hours tending sheep. To him, that was home. He was in trouble. He was exhausted. He's in a cave, right? Regardless of which narrative you go by, he's being pursued. And he just simply wanted a taste of home. Which brings us to a mission of devotion. Now again, I just want to refresh your memory here as we look at this passage in 2 Samuel. I'm going to look at verses 14 and the beginning of 16. It says, David was then the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. Okay, Keep that in mind for a moment. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. So I just want to give us a perspective here, some things to understand. What is recorded for us is a brief record of a daring mission carried out by three of David's mighty men. As we consider their daring mission, we are going to use a little sanctified imagination. First, they are not asked or commanded to go on this mission. This was volunteer. This was something that they wanted to do. Second, the warriors in this account went unnamed. Did you notice that? There's no credit given to them for this. And this was an amazing thing that took place. If you look at the passages around it, guys are named for what they did, not this particular one. And third, we need to consider the mission itself. So as you look at the map here, Agalum to Bethlehem was a 25-mile round trip. So this is how far they had to travel through enemy territory. Okay? This was not in a Humvee or this was not with a whole bunch of other troops. This was not in some armed military vehicle. This was on foot. I want you to see here, there's the Valley of Rephaim. You see where the Cave of Agilom is, and you see where Bethlehem is. So the Philistines were all encamped in between. And then again, we see that there was this garrison that was at Bethlehem. The Philistines occupying the Rephaim Valley made Bethlehem a military outpost. That would have meant that they could have just had this as, as like a lookout point um, or something like that, but I think that the text helps us understand that this was really the concentration of where the troops were. It's not that all of them were there, but this would have been their 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 operating post. The word for camp signifies a large number of soldiers. If you go back to the Hebrew, it just means like a host or something like that, some, some um, uh translations are a little bit different but it's 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 a bunch of people it's not a small number the term broke through implies that they engaged in battle three men engaging all these other men fitted for war in battle they fought their way through the well through to the well located at the town's gate they drew water from the well and then left So I'm just giving you the basics of the story here for a moment. The gate or the entrance would have been the most fortified part of the town or city, right? That's where you enter and exit. This would have been the most fortified part. So they go to the well. They take the time, you know, I don't know. Jar, I'm assuming, right? A clay jar. They drop that down into the well. They pull it back up again. They pour that probably into like a skin or something uh, to, to transport it. Like we would call a canteen. And then they leave. When they leave, they go 12 miles back through enemy territory. And the enemy knows they're there. Okay. It's not, like, it's not like, it's like they started, just kept on going. They turned back and marched back the, the, the same direction they came. So when you think of some of the cool video games that are out there, right? These, these battles that take place. Or, or you even consider some of the real battles that take place. Or, or, you know, movies or whatever. These action adventure things that go on. First off, this was real stuff. And again, they didn't have cool guns and armor or magic swords or whatever it was. It was just three guys that come up up against an invasion force that's well encamped, well entrenched. They go to their stronghold and take home the equivalent of a glass of water. Right? This is wild stuff. Now, we may think to ourselves, well, maybe... Maybe the scriptures have embellished this a little bit, right? I don't believe so. These were three of David's most talented warriors. Anonymous. And they go in and they take care of business. This was some amazing courage. Some amazing skill to be able to survive this. We already said that the mission they took upon themselves was amazing, but it was also a demonstration of their devotion to and respect for their king. Again, they went against overwhelming forces for a glass of water. So let's also imagine the scene upon their return. Okay? They, they, they just went. I don't know how long this took. I don't know if they ran or what, but it's just about the equivalent of a marathon to begin with. They go all that way. They, f- they fight their way through. At some point, they meet the enemy. They fight their way through. They go to the city gate. They lower the bucket. They, 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 fill, they fill their canteen, and they come back. These guys are sweaty and grimy from their 25-mile trek they may be stained with the blood of their enemies, and they come into the presence of the king, their commander-in-chief. Can you imagine the expression on their faces as they hand David again his glass of water, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when you're talking about guys, you know that first first of all, when they first got back, he's like, yeah, we did it, yeah. I mean, that, that must have been just like a celebration, you know. I don't know if they high-fived back then, but they should have, right? This was a big deal. So then they go into the king, and you can, you can just tell, like, you know, you give it to him, no, you give it to him, no, you give it to him, right? And then one of them hands it to him, and, and they're all, they're like beaming, right? You can see it. Again, they're probably panting from all the running they did and everything. They're whooped, right? They fought, and they're like tapping each other, you know, giving each other, you know, nudges. You know. And they're just excited. And they give it to their king. But then what do we see? We see a sacrifice of appreciation. So what does David do when the water that these men risk their lives for come to him? What, what, what does he do with it? The scriptures tell us he pours it out. He pours it out. Now, how would you have responded if David did that, right? Remember, I just set this up where you get these three guys like, you know, here's your water. And he turns the glass over, basically. Now, we know there's a little bit more to the story than that. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Because before we can answer that, We have to know exactly what David meant by what he did. Again, some speculate wildly that David poured the water out because of a guilt for sending the men. Uh, He didn't send them, right? They volunteered for this. Others say that David wouldn't drink it because he felt unworthy to enjoy the water the men risked their lives to bring. This is probably getting closer to the real reason, but the text reveals that David's Attention was not on himself. The sacrificial act of these men directed his attention to the Lord. A drink offering usually accompanied various other kinds of offerings, but it could be a standalone offering. A drink offering was either poured onto something, in other words, another offering like a grain offering or something like that. It was either water or wine, or else it was it was. Um, uh, offered by being poured onto the altar itself. David's gesture honored the men but also honored the Lord. All right? He recognized what these men had done. And if if you remember what the scriptures there said, it said I, I can't drink this 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 signifies the blood of these men. And so instead, he gave his attention, his his thanksgiving to the Lord and he poured it out as a drink offering now how would these men have seen their king it would not have been a disappointment at that point it would have been an honor that he could not take a drink of that water he was not going to enjoy that instead what he really longed for was going to be given to God Wow. So where does that bring us? See, I love this story because I believe there is a direct comparison between the love these men had for their king and the love that we are to have for our king, King Jesus. These men simply overheard a reminiscing wish from David, and they risked their lives to please him. We have been given all kinds of commands and instructions from Christ, direct revelation. I have to contrast this with how disciples acted while they walked with Jesus, while they walked with God in the flesh, right? We can look back over and over again. Again, we would not want our lives chronicled like this, but theirs are. And what do we see? We see infighting and selfishness and all these other things going on. We see positioning. We see them insulting each other. We see them with a lack of faith and all these other things. And they're literally walking with God. And I also cannot help but contrast my own life to this same standard of what these men did. Again, when I have the clear commands of God before me, Now, my desire isn't to overwhelm us with times of failure, but to see these three men as examples of loyalty and of self sacrifice for their king. Examples of how we are to show loyalty and self sacrifice for our king. I want us to have a renewed passion for pleasing the Lord. The reality is that we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. Here is the encouraging part. Jesus said that he would never leave us or turn his back on us. He sent his Holy Spirit as our helper, right? So so Christ is with us. God is with us in the battle. But he also said if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I've shared this in the past, this concept. But today, my hope is to motivate us with, that, with what clearly motivated these soldiers to fulfill their earthly king's desire. That was what motivated them. So I want that to help motivate us to fulfill our heavenly king's desire. So couple of questions are we listening are we listening to our king again these men just heard oh man you know what i i could really go for right now man you know it'd be awesome if i just had a long drink from my hometown well right do we know what god wants do we know what he desires of each and every one of us we do Now, there's a difference between their king and our king. They had an earthly king. Our king isn't sitting around in a cave all weary, okay? But he does have a desire for us to do. Another question. Do we count the Lord Jesus worthy of our honor and service? It's a fair question. Are we willing to fight the good fight of faith? And then, does it show in how we live? Are we actually obeying his commands? If we grasp the devotion and sense of duty these soldiers possessed for their king, it will energize our passion to please and glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords. Success depends on being mission-focused. It all centers on what we present to our king after the battle is over. Think about that for a minute. These men went to their king after they fought a battle and they presented him with the fruit of their works. We're going to do the same thing, folks. We're going to do the same thing. You see, what they offered him meant more than just the getting of the water. The things we do for Christ, there's a spiritual aspect to that. There is an eternal value to these things. And the fight is worth it. Whether it's the fight that happens in our heart, and our minds, or the fight that happens out around among us. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Gives us a very good indicator here, verses one through four. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We don't always think of grace as strength, but God's graciousness is our strength, it's where our life comes from. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Also, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engages in warfare, in warfare, uh, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We are the enlisted ones, and we are to please our commander. These men got it. They understood that. This is what we're supposed to be about, folks. You might have all kinds of things swirling around you today, right? I'm not going to argue about that. What I want you to do is I want you to look at David. He had all kinds of things swirling around him. The men with him were all a part of that, right? Right? But these guys were focused on their king. They were focused on what he wanted. I don't know that the Lord is going to ask any of us to run headlong, you know, physically into what we would consider to be impossible odds, right? But he does warn us spiritually that we have an enemy that wants to attack us and destroy us. It would would be impossible to try to go up against him and against his forces without Christ, without living in the Spirit, without understanding that we're following his orders. Right? So as we do that, I just want to ask you, how well are you carrying out the mission? Are you gathering spiritual treasure as you fight the good fight? Folks, these these men were honored because they listened to their king. There will be a day when we stand before Jesus himself and all that we've done will be presented. And there is going to be that phrase that we all want to hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant," there is also going to be reward attached. To that and you know, this blows our minds, right? And and all of our fumbling around and 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 and, and feebleness and and um, I can't think of other words. You get the idea. Like we're a mess, <laughs> and yet when we get it right. And the things that we do for Christ, those things are set aside as eternal. They're preserved for us. And we will be rewarded for them. So I want to encourage you. Maybe it is at school. Maybe it's with family. Any number of situations. Certainly some of you would have some issues, so to speak, at work regardless of what those things might be, I just want to encourage you, keep after it. Keep listening to your king. Seek to please him. Ultimately, you will be rewarded for that. I, I think that there's a lot of gain in this life as well. We might not see it all. But there is gain after the battle is over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that there are probably students here who have had to take a stand regarding different things in their life. Maybe some things their friends want to do and they can't participate in that. Maybe there are some activities related to school that um, they want to be a part of or others want them to be a part of, and they they, they can't do that. There may be times when family puts pressure on certain folks here, friends, whatever it might be. We certainly have the world system that is just constantly working to trip us up to win a skirmish here and there, to wound us, to weaken us. But Lord, as we do battle, we thank you that you have outfitted us, that you give us your spirit, and that you give us our orders. Father, may we be all about fulfilling those for the glory of our King, for the privilege of our of serving the one who has enlisted us. Enlisted us based upon your grace, based upon your sacrifice. We love you, and we want to show you that love, Lord, by how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.